Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Welcome to the lift. Get ready to take a ride. Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of The Lift. I'm Daniel Foytek, and we will actually be returning with The Lift later this month for Season 4, but you're hearing this special bonus episode because you are either a supporter of the show on Patreon, you donate to us on PayPal, or you picked up a copy of the book. When I say the book, I'm talking about our anthology that came out last year, which has nine stories that have never been heard on the show before, written by authors of the show, And you get special bonus extras in there, like artwork from Jeanette Andromeda, as well as content from Cynthia Lohman and myself that give you a little bit of a deeper dive into the world of the lift, including blueprints of the music box and more. You can pick that up over at victoriaslift.com forward slash read if you haven't already. Now, today is something a little bit extra special just for you guys for supporting the show in the way that you do. Bringing today's episode to life are, of course, Amber Collins, my good friend Craig Weber, who I used to do the Ninth Story podcast with, Mike Dalgadio as the main storyteller, Graham Rowett in a small but fantastic little role, me, and Cynthia Lohman. Also, a big thank you to Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. He scored today's episode for us in record time and did a fantastic job with it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much for being a fan of the show and helping us bring it to life. Now, without further ado, here is Buying America. Thank you for My name's Victoria. I have lost so much. My name's Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. (laughs) Don't be afraid. The council hall was silent, aside from the shuffling noises as the council members flipped through their notes and prepared to vote. John Gate took a sip from the now-warm glass of water on the table in front of him and waited patiently for the verdict. Normally, the council wouldn't have been involved in a private sale like this, but since the old hardware store shared a common wall with the town library, the bylaws required approval. Will you fix that sign, too? Yeah, that flicker drives everybody crazy. Of course. It can't be great American hardware if the grade is broken. The assembly chuckled at that, and John responded with a shrug and his best charming smile. But underneath the smile, he silently fumed. How dare they give him a directive? 
He was John Gate, and they were lucky to have him here revitalizing Main Street. He did things the right way, his way. With everything he brought to this worn-out town, they should be asking what they could do for him. Of course, the hardware store was just the beginning. He had big plans for this town. Any further questions? Five heads shook. Okay, let's proceed with the vote then. It was very early in the morning at Great America Hardware. Inside, the store was dark, aside from the faint light of a small desk lamp and the soft glow from a computer screen. Outside, the letters R and E in Great flickered, buzzed, and finally went out. John had fixed the place up over the last few weeks, before this week's grand reopening, giving the store a good cleaning and a general facelift, painting the brick bright white, resealing the parking lot, and even adding a new awning above the front entrance. The worn-out, flickering sign, however, remained as it had been when he'd bought it from the retiring Joe Thomas, because fuck them. John looked up from entering the prior day's sales into his bookkeeping software and stared. The girl was back for the fifth morning in a row. This time she'd darted off into aisle number five, the one with assorted pipe fittings and other miscellaneous plumbing supplies. She wore a Victorian-style dress, with her hair done up in pigtails and bright purple ribbons, like something out of a school play or one of those steampunk conventions. He considered whether or not to get up and look. He clenched his right hand into a tight fist to stop it from quivering. Mornings weren't the only times she'd appeared, but those were the most disconcerting, since the store was empty aside from him. During the day, her appearances and disappearances could be shrugged off as her slipping out the front door or ducking behind a group of customers. But in the mornings, he knew there was no explanation. He was alone from 5 a.m. until 6.30 a.m. when his staff knocked on the front door to be let in. It's not my imagination. I know I saw her. But that just wasn't possible. The door was still locked. He could see it from here. Last night, he'd made sure the store was empty. He'd walked every aisle, checking the security camera app on his tablet, watching himself move from frame to frame, from camera to camera. No, this store was empty last night, and empty when he came in this morning. He pulled the cameras up on his computer screen and clicked for the live feed for aisle 5 until it filled the screen. Empty. He knew he'd seen her. As if in response to that thought, the child stuck her head around the corner and waved, then ducked back behind the shelves with a giggle. <laughs> he looked at the monitor and was again presented with an empty aisle. <laughs> peek-a-boo, peek-a-boo, I see ye. This was new. She hadn't spoken before, and he really wished she hadn't now. The sound of her voice, clear and accented with an odd, distorted echo, made his mouth instantly dry. He sat, staring at the monitor, afraid to look back up to the spot where she'd poked her head around the corner. Her voice called out again, clear and determined and impossible to ignore. Peek-a-boo, peek-a-boo, you bad, bad man. The time is nearly up. Better change while you can. The loud rap on the glass made him jump and pulled him back to reality. Had he nodded off? Had he been dreaming? He looked up to see three of his staff waiting to be let in. 
Gary Wilson pulled on his collar and twisted in his chair uncomfortably, unable to make eye contact with his boss. He tried to calm himself by counting the tiny scratches and imperfections on his boss's nameplate as the sun glinted from its surface. Are you listening to me, Wilson? Gary jumped and mumbled his assent without looking up, still struggling to form words. I don't know what's so hard to understand here. When I bought the store from that old codger, I said things were going to change and I meant it. I'm here to bring life to this town and the right kind of clientele into this store. This town used to be something. When I was a boy and I lived here, there were morals. There was an understanding of what was right and what was wrong. We never would have tolerated two women acting like that out in the open. Never. I left New York and came back here because I was tired of that sort of thing. And now, now I find that people just turned a blind eye to it. Gary felt anger welling up inside that helped push him through his stunned silence. Judy and Sally have been shopping here for years, sir. And they fixed that old house into one of the best bed and breakfasts in the country. Before they bought it, it was an eyesore. You talking about revitalizing the town, that's just what they did. Don't sass me, son. I think you forgot who you're talking to. I'm sure there are plenty of people in this town who'd be grateful to have your job. Gary took a deep breath and closed his eyes. This job was getting more awful every day, but he needed it. He felt a twinge of anger at Mr. Thomas for selling it to Gate and moving to Arizona. Then he felt ashamed. Mr. Thomas was a good and kindly man, and he deserved a nice retirement. If he'd known this was how Gate was going to run the place, Gary was sure Thomas would have never sold to him. Are you still with me, Wilson? Yes, sir. I understand, sir. Well, I'm glad to hear. Don't make me remind you again. If they come back, you send them to me. I'll explain Romans 126, 1.26, whatever it is to them. This is a privately owned business. I don't have to serve deviants here. He didn't see her, but he heard her footsteps darting down the general hardware aisle. John took a deep breath and reached for his coffee. He suddenly felt cold, and the warmth of the liquid inside might restore a little of what he'd lost. The girl giggled as he took a sip from the styrofoam cup. <laughs> peek-a-boo, peek-a-boo, you bad, bad man. He looked at the monitor, and this time he could see her. She was playing hopscotch on the black tiles of the aisle and staring right into the camera. I've been watching you, Mr. Gate. I know what you say and what you do, but you still ignore me and the warning I give. Time is nearly up. The image on the screen flickered and winked out as the knocking on the glass came. John jolted back to reality. Surely he'd nodded off this time. Coming in so early every morning was taking its toll. Dream or no, he felt even more unsettled than yesterday as he stood up and made his way to the door, keys in hand. Why do we want all these people from shithole parts of the county coming here? Gate asked the question of Bethany Mills, the girl in charge of his paint department. I... I don't know what you mean, Mr. Gate. I asked you to run the ad for this week's special deals, and you sent it out to not only the Raynard Chronicle, but to the Washington County News, and even the North Yancey Times. So I ask you again. Why would we want all those people from the shithole parts of the county coming to our store? When Bethany sat in stunned silence for several seconds, Gate continued as if explaining to a child. If you run ads in papers from the shithole towns, you get the shithole people in here. 
That's something the respectable people just don't appreciate. But we've always run ads in those papers. Mr. Thomas always said he ran ads in all the papers within 50 miles. I don't give a good goddamn what that daft old coot did. I'm not him. Clearly. What did you say, girl? Are you trying to be flip with me? No, sir. I... I was agreeing with you. You're nothing like Mr. Thomas. Sorry I ran the ad in the other papers without checking with you. Well, that's better. And if anyone from those parts comes in wanting those offers, you send them to me. I'll tell them it's a misprint. Fake news. You can't trust anything those two rags print anyway, and everyone, everybody knows it. It was still too early for the birds. The dark parking lot and equally dark store had an ominous feel this morning. John stood before the store and dug for his keys with one hand, while with his other he tried to balance a drink carrier holding two large coffees. He managed to pull out the keys, but lost his grip on the carrier, and it tumbled from his hand. The styrofoam cups exploded as they hit the sidewalk, and scalding hot coffee splashed up, showering his legs. John dropped the keys. He looked at the puddle of steaming coffee and watched as it slowly snaked its way across the concrete and trickled into the storm drain. He bent over and picked up the keys and looked at the locked door. There are no creepy little girls in my store. There are no creepy little girls in my store. He picked up the mess from the sidewalk, unlocked the door, and stepped inside, locking the door behind him. He stood for a moment, listening, waiting, feeling the space with some primal part of himself that humans try to ignore most of the time, and knew she was there. He couldn't see her or hear her, but she was there, somewhere, on the other side of a shadow or behind the tiny space of a dust moat, she waited to slip into his reality. John flipped the lights and whistled as he moved towards the counter where his computer waited. His whistling echoed back to him from the back wall of the empty store, but he was sure he heard another whistler joining him, matching him note for note. He stopped and the other whistle did too. When he started up again, the other whistler joined in. He did his best to ignore it, slamming his keys down loudly on the counter next to his PC and slipping into the chair in front of it. John worked for about 20 minutes, the only sound the shuffle of paper and the clickety-clack of his fingers on the keyboard as he entered the figures from the prior day. He felt silly for letting himself get freaked out earlier and rubbed his eyes, resting his head in his palms for a moment. Uh, I'm so exhausted. This stress is starting to get to me. Peekaboo, peekaboo, you bad, bad man. John kept his face in his palms, refusing to look up. His mouth was dry, and his palms were ice cold. You really aren't even trying, are you? (sighs) Unless you change, it's going to be a very bad time for you. John breathed deeply, rapidly, but refused to look up. He felt tiny, cold hands grip his own, and pull them quickly away from his face. His forehead hit the countertop just as the knocking on the glass came. He jolted back to reality with a shudder as he rose to let in his staff. Jesus, that felt too real. No, there's no way we're paying for it. I don't care what the last owner did. We aren't doing it. 
John pulled the phone's handset away from his face and stared at it for a moment, as if he could look through the holes in the receiver and see the crazy person on the other end of the line. He brought the handset back to his head. That sounds like your fault. You promised the kid a scholarship because the last guy wanted to dump money into the summer arts program. You just assumed that I'd continue a program like that. You know what happens when you assume, right? He slammed the handset down in its cradle. A timid knock came from outside his office, and Riley Jackson peeked around the corner. What? What could you possibly want? I'm sorry, Mr. Gates, but I couldn't help overhearing. You're canceling the annual scholarship for the summer art program? That's right. If these kids want to waste their time on doodling, writing, or whatever other artsy-fartsy thing they think is more important than learning how to be responsible, that's their business. I'm not taking a dime out of my business to encourage that crap. But sir, art is important. It's how we bring purpose and meaning to our lives. These kids rely on our support to pursue their summer projects. You know, Jackson, you're really on thin ice. No one questions me in my store. The phone rang and Gate answered it, waving his employee off. It closed the door. President Trump today crossed into North Korea and enjoyed an opportunity to praise and show his deep respect and admiration for dictator Kim Jong-un, one of his favorite dictators. John sat on the couch and unwrapped another greasy hamburger as he watched the evening news. The news. Even that was a joke. The weather girl was fat, the female anchor was a Mexican, and the other anchor? Yeah, John knew what he was. This town had really gone down the shitter. He almost regretted coming back. He remembered it as a different place than this, a town with old-fashioned values, where a man didn't have to be afraid to let a woman know he appreciated the cut of her blouse and the way her skirt fit just so. A town with morals, where the deviants knew better than to shove their unnatural choices in everyone's face. A town where the lower classes knew their place and stayed out of your way. A town where a man could go to the local bar for a few beers and wouldn't get called a bigot for making a goddamn joke. What the fuck had happened to this place? The way things changed had made him angry. Really angry. He remembered green lawns and his mother cuddling him on the front porch, her pushing him on the swing all summer long. When he grew up in this town, summer meant Kool-Aid and lightning bugs in old mayonnaise jars. Fall was trick-or-treat for full-sized candy bars, TPing old man Betterson's huge oak tree and tic-tacking on Devil's Night. Winter was snowball fights and caroling, and everyone wished each other Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Now traditions were gone, people didn't know their place, and even things as simple as male or female were forgotten concepts. He fell asleep with a half-eaten burger on his chest, the news droning on, and a deep frown on his face. The first thing John noticed was the ache in his back and the vibration and shuddering sound. He opened his eyes to find himself slumped in the corner of a tired old elevator, one that probably had been fancy in its day, but that was obviously long, long ago. The girl stood with her back to him, facing the panel. Her anachronous outfit looked straight out of the 19th century, ancient, but every aspect of it, 
from her lavender dress to the floral pattern on her sleeves, seems like it had just come out of a high-end shop only yesterday. She turned her head slightly and looked at him out of the corner of her eye. Oh good, you're awake. I thought you'd never wake up. Oh, you smell. John looked down at the large grease stain on his shirt and brushed at it with orange Cheeto-stained fingers, then looked up at the girl. Things weren't right here. Everything looked solid and real enough, but something about this place spoke to the deep, instinctual part of him that most people try to ignore. It said that this wasn't his reality and that he'd slipped a tiny fraction of a fraction from normal, out of his own world and into another. This was someplace in between. Where am I? Oh, you're going to love it, John. It's another place just for you. (laughs) The other versions weren't quite right, obviously. I know how much you enjoy being the center of attention. John had no idea what she was talking about. He groaned as he pulled himself to his feet. His right leg had gone numb from the way he'd been sitting. Who are you? How did I get you? Oh, you've forgotten. I'm Victoria. I'll be your guide today. As to the rest, I don't want to spoil the surprise. (laughs) Surprises are ever so much fun, aren't they? She turned back to face the door as the elevator continued to rise, its ascent punctuated at regular intervals by the sounding of an old-fashioned elevator bell. John's anger rose, and he forgot the surreal and rather paranormal elements surrounding him. He reached out to grab the little brat. I'll shake some sense into this kid. Sometimes a good smack or shake is what a kid needs to show her that adults are to be respected. I'd seriously advise against that, Donald. John stayed his hand and tilted his head. Donald? Why did she call me that? And why does it feel somehow familiar? The elevator slowed, then stopped with a lurch. The bell rang, and the doors slid open. Here we are again, fifth story. Uh, Again? John looked around. It was just an old hallway. But then again, it wasn't. The carpet was threadbare and worn, and the silk frayed and peeling from the walls. Old Edison wall sconces jutted out from the walls. Most were burned out or broken, but enough still worked that he could see the many doors lining the hallway that went on far longer than seemed possible. There's something familiar about this place. Come along, Donald. Victoria stepped out of the elevator and walked down the hallway. I'm John. John Gate. Why are you calling me Donald? Ah, yes, that's right. You were John the last few times. John Barron, John Miller, John Gate. Really like the name John. There was that time you were David Dennison. But I'd rather not talk about that. Those names, they meant something. But what? He couldn't remember. It felt like trying to remember the name of someone you met long ago like at a party in college many years afterwards. It's almost, almost like something from another lifetime. Victoria stopped and turned. She was about 30 feet away from him. John still lingered in the elevator. I've been here before. Yes, Donald. You've been here for quite a long time now. Really was the safest for, well, everyone. I do keep hoping you'll learn. But the choice continues to be yours. John stepped out of the elevator 
and winced. Abruptly, his surroundings changed. His head throbbed, and he was suddenly sitting, surrounded by a group of people. They were all talking at once, accusing him, and he felt his temper rise. How dare they come after him? Just as suddenly, the scene was gone, and he was back in the dim hallway that smelled of dust and age, staring at the little girl in the purple dress. Jesus Christ! What the hell was that? Did we have a little time slip, Donald? It's okay. You'll start to remember things now. It's the only way you'll learn. You need some perspective before we move on to the next scenario. John took a few steps and stumbled. He was sitting with five men with thick Russian accents going through a stack of papers. He felt nervous, but also elated. This would all be over soon, but it would be good for his brand regardless. Then John was on his knees, back in the hallway again, and Victoria was standing over him, holding that oddly luminescent music box of hers. He was surprised to find that he remembered this, remembered being in exactly this situation before. He knew her. He remembered. He knew her and that music box. Jesus, I'm still here. Victoria closed the box. It seemed to disappear somewhere into the folds of her dress, but John knew that wasn't exactly right. She reached out her hand and he took it, surprised, as always, by the strength of the tiny child as she pulled him to his feet. She looked concerned. No one had looked truly concerned for him in such a long time, yet somehow this girl was able to do it. You've been here a long time, Donald. It gets harder to keep it straight. I suggest you choose well this time. You'll begin to lose yourself soon. You'll become like them. She nodded over his shoulder. The ones who can't remember themselves any longer. John turned his head and looked down the hallway. He could almost see them, almost make them out. Shadows, the cast-off layers of other men and women who'd become so lost in this place that they existed in perpetual unreality. John felt himself pulled along through the hallway by the girl. They were moving faster now, toward a horizon of hallway that went on forever. He watched as the doors on either side flew by, faster and faster, as they ran down the endless corridor. Harry, Donald, there's less time than I thought. She opened the next door and pushed him through it. She's well this time. Has anybody ever taken a good look at my opponent? I mean, her crying out loud. The girl was back again. John had learned a long time ago not to talk about the little girl in the purple dress with blonde pigtails. No one else saw her, but he did. He stared at the television and watched the politician bluster and drone on about how he was going to fix things, about how he was going to bring back the glory days. He attacked his opponent for being crooked and duplicitous, then managed to contradict himself half a dozen times in the next ten minutes of his speech. He just kept going. He looked overly confident and self-assured. He sounded like a racist and a bigot. He was cocky and dangerous. That's you. You may have a different face, but I see you. You can't fool me, Donald. John looked at the man next to him and shook his head. I don't know what you're talking about, Jimmy. Jimmy tittered and tugged on his beard. He petted his own left hand with his right, as if it was a small kitten. Oh, you'd like to think that. You'd like to pretend that that's not you up there. But you can't hide from the truth. 
I know why you're here. She put you here, just like she did to me. I see you, kid. Jimmy pointed to the little girl. John stood and walked away. (laughs) The girl walked alongside him as he made his way back to his room. Do you want to talk about it? John ignored her. That's the only way I'm ever going to get well. It's like Dr. Mann says. I need to ignore her until she goes away. The girl stopped at the doorway as John entered his room. She stood in the hall, watching him as he climbed into bed. That was the easy part, ignoring her. The hard part was convincing himself that it wasn't him on the TV, and that he wasn't about to become the most powerful man in the world. He allowed himself a grin. When that happened, maybe he could switch places with himself and get back to where he once belonged. The girl sighed and wound her music box, then walked off down the hallway, the sound of the melody fading as she got farther away. The last thing he heard before he drifted off to sleep was the sound of Jimmy yelling, and he hated that song. I hate that song! Ah, that music, it's in my head now!